Do you consider yourself a high achiever? Smart, driven, highly successful? I am so excited to have you. My name is Julia Arndt and I'm the host of the Stress Podcast. I will help you develop your stress resilience the same way you've developed your workplace superpowers. Learn peak performance tools to thrive at work and in your personal life. Let's get started. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Stressed. I am really, really excited to welcome my next podcast guest to the show today. It is Jess Shuralev, who I have met um, through a training that I gave last year, and I'm really, really excited to welcome her to the show today. Thank you so much for having me on, Julia. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, Jess, I'm always starting my podcasts with asking my guests uh, where you are located and what time it is and what you've been up to this morning. So tell us a little bit more about your day today. I would love to, and I love this question. So I am in Chicago, and it is sunny today for the first time in what feels like weeks. Mm -hmm. It is 1.40 our time. And I have actually spent my morning, so we're obviously in the midst of this global um, pandemic with COVID-19. And so last week, our nanny stopped coming, and my husband and I are now playing uh, two working parents, homeschooling our children, and attempting to be full-time employees. And so my morning was spent... um, with my two girls, uh, my oldest just turned four yesterday, and mm-hmm. my youngest is two, and we just had fun. We went outside, we played, uh, we did some schoolwork, and then my husband came down, and I switched into to working mode. Wow. Yeah, and that, it seems like it's working great, so good job on that, because I know that a lot of people are currently struggling with with that um, interaction and with that schedule at the moment. Today has been a good day. I would be lying if I said <laughs> every day is a good day, mm-hmm. you know, and before we were hit, we hit record, we were talking about it. To me, it's hour by hour, right? Mm-hmm. And so what can I be doing to make sure that I'm grounding myself and doing things that I need to do to fill my cup so that when the wheels are falling off the bus with my kids, which is inevitable, right? Like they're off their schedule. They're four and two, but they're doing online school. Like they don't know what that means. Yeah, that I have the patience to do that. And then I can flip right into to work mode and be that sounding board for my team too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing some insights into your home life. So tell us more about you, Jess. Um, I would love to hear more about what has been your journey. Maybe take us back to um, five years or 10 years ago or wherever you think would be kind of a good starting point for you to tell us a little bit more about what you've been up to. Yeah, I love this. So I live in Chicago. I've been in the Midwest for about 12 and a half years now, but I always say that while I am a Midwesterner currently, I am a New Yorker at heart. So Mm -hmm. I grew up in New York and spent most of my um, child, not most of it, I spent all of my childhood years um, in Long Island. And then I moved to Boston and spent five years there for school. So I love water, I love beach, I love the ocean. Um, And I decided though, when I was in Boston, I got an offer for Google. 
-hmm. and we're opening a office in Ann Arbor and I took a leap of faith. I didn't know anybody in that state. I remember telling people that I was moving to Michigan. <laughs> people literally were like, where's that? <laughs> sort of like give some context into like how unfamiliar about the Midwest I was. Mm -hmm. I actually remember saying to someone, oh, well, I'm excited to move to Michigan because I can just drive to the Mall of America, which mm -hmm. I didn't know is an 11 and a half hour drive from Ann Arbor, Michigan. But in my mind, the East Coast is so easily drivable that, mm -hmm. of course, it would be easy to get to Minnesota from Ann Arbor. It's not. I did not make that drive. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I tell this story because that was the first time I sort of took this big leap of faith where I didn't know anybody and I just sort of had to trust that the decision that I was making was going to be the right one or if it wasn't then I would just pivot mm -hmm. and thankfully it ended up being the right decision. I um, ended up meeting my now husband um, at Google Ann Arbor. We moved to Chicago 12 and a half years ago, and both of us have been in the tech world ever since. Mm -hmm. Great. So, how have tell us more about the last 12 and a half years? So, you met your husband, you moved to Chicago, and what do you do at Google? I lead a sales team that focuses on our display and video offering. Mm -hmm. Nice. How big is the team? We are a team of seven. Okay. And we roll into a larger organization. There's about 22 of us and we partner with the Google sales teams um, mm -hmm. that focus on ads. So basically Google's entire suite of offerings from mm -hmm. search display and video. Mm -hmm. Wow. Great. And so the first time we met um, more personally, I would say, because you, you were in a training last year when I came to Chicago um, and then you reached out to me and said, you're doing a podcast. And so we recorded a session last two weeks, two weeks ago, actually, um, on your podcast. And then I, we were talking a little bit and you told me a little bit more about your story and you also shared with me your story already over email and why you started your podcast. And maybe this is a good start. Tell us a little bit more about your podcast and why you decided to start that. That's a, um, thank you for asking that. So um, as, I, as I started saying, I am a mom. I am a mom of two amazing little humans. Um, and that is really precious to me because when my husband and I first got married, you know, we didn't really, we knew we wanted a family, but we didn't really think about it right away. Um, we wanted to go on adventures and we did. We, we explored the world. It was amazing. And then We had this sort of realization that, you know, we wanted to have a family. And in my mind, it was going to be really easy, right? Like I looked all around me and all of my friends had kids. My husband's older than me. And so we're the, um, and of his friends, we we're the last to have children. Mm -hmm. I it was the first of my close group of friends to even consider, you know, starting a family. Yeah. I'm really sorry. Just, I need to interrupt you for a second and I'll, I'll let, I leave this on the recording as well. I have my little puppy of nine and a half weeks who's crying outside the door. And if I don't let him out now, <laughs> there might be a catastrophe happening. So I'll just I'll leave it one second and I'll just let him outside. Okay. I'm so sorry about this. <laughs> I do not need to apologize. And I want to see a picture and you said it was a, a boy 
It's a boy. Yes, I'll, maybe I'll bring him in at the end yeah. and we'll, we'll show him in the camera. Perfect. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to think where I was. Yeah, sorry. So you said you were actually one of the first in your friend's group that considered even having children. So I didn't have sort of anyone as a sounding board with regards to starting family. To me, everyone I looked at, right, it was, it was really easy. They looked at each other and they got pregnant. And that wasn't the story for my husband and I. Um, you know, we started as most people do, he'll probably kill me for saying this, but like, you just have fun with it. And then, you know, that wasn't working. And then we had to become more serious and sort of go on a schedule and do ovulation trips. And again, not working, Mm -hmm. which led us to meeting with our doctor and doing a series of IUIs. So in each, um, in uterine inseminations with Clomid. Um, and I did several rounds of that and again, not working. So eventually it led us down this path of, um, we decided ultimately to do IVF. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I think I had one other friend who was also going through IVF. Everyone else around me um, either already had children or did not, like was, was not at that place. And so through all of, throughout all of that, I would, I would share with friends, but I would get either the well-intended, it'll happen for you, don't worry about it, I know you'll become a mom at some point, which was not coming from a place of, of ill intent, but it literally felt like a knife in my heart. I also came from a really big family. So I come from a family of 12 grandchildren. We all grew up within probably five miles of each other. Mm -hmm. And again, I was, I was the only married grandchild that did not have kids. Mm -hmm. And so I was getting, getting these signals from, from society, right. And all different from friends, from family and all well intent, but inside I was sort of crumbling Mm -hmm. in that I wanted this so bad, but my body wasn't doing what, what you wanted it to do. Exactly. Like what, what, (laughs) what I was, what I was brought onto this earth to do. Right. And you know, if you, if you think that way, Mm -hmm. so there was just this, huge internal battle that I was going through. And so ultimately we, we did end up, um, after a few canceled cycles for IVF, we did end up getting pregnant and we actually were having twins Mm -hmm. and it was amazing. And I will never forget this. We were actually driving out East to, um, visit my family on Cape Cod when we got the phone call and I looked over and there was a double rainbow in the middle of Indiana. It was very bizarre, but it was just sort of this sign. And it was, I had this moment of contentness and it just felt like a huge win after a two year struggle to get to that point. I just got goosebumps. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was, you know, amazing. And, you know, in my mind, everything was going to be fine. Like it was such a battle to get to that positive pregnancy test Mm -hmm. that it didn't even occur to me that something might go wrong within the pregnancy. Like that wasn't even on my radar Mm -hmm. and I didn't have the easiest pregnancy. Um, 
they say that there's morning sickness for those who have been pregnant. It is not just morning sickness. It is everyday sickness, every moment sickness, mm-hmm. at least it was for me. And, um, we went to the 12 week appointment, which is typically the appointment where they'll do a genetic test if you'd like, and start to, uh, do a, a more in-depth sonogram. Mm-hmm. And, At that point, we found out something was wrong with our son. Mm -hmm. And after going through the range of emotions, when you get news like that, we um, had to do a plethora of genetic testing. And um, they thought it was very specifically a, a genetic disorder. And actually, there was nothing genetically wrong with him. Mm-hmm. Or at least if it was, it was so rare, it wasn't appearing on any tests that mm-hmm. they could. So then our next step was to, you know, these markers could identify also come with a heart defect. And so we had to schedule an appointment with the premier um, cardiac pediatric cardiologist at Lori's Children's Hospital here in Chicago. And she didn't give us great news. Mm-hmm. And so I'll never forget sitting in that room where she is literally drawing for me my son's heart. And I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever been in a, a medical situation before, but all they do is give you facts. Like mm-hmm. you ask them for their opinion and they won't give it to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're in the throes of, of, for me, it was just like this emotional roller coaster of like, it took us so long to get pregnant. We were pregnant, elated. And now we're dealing with, with this news. It was just too much. Mm-hmm. And oh, go ahead. And uh, so you were pregnant with a boy and a girl, I think, yes. right? And so the boy had, had some issues. Yeah. So he had a, um, a heart defect. It is, um, I never, I'm going to butcher the name of it, but um, randomly, it is actually the same heart defect that Jimmy Fallon's son had several years later, um, just to, which then became like, it became very well known in terms of this heart defect. Mm -hmm. Uh, But our son's was much more severe to the point where if he had survived pregnancy, he would have had, they told me no less than 20 surgeries within the first year of his life. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't have stopped there. It would have continued um, mm-hmm. his whole life because of the defect that he had. They would never have been able to fully repair it. Every few years, they would have to go in and replace um, some pieces that mm-hmm. would grow with him as he got older. Mm-hmm. And so throughout all of this, I just, I crumbled. Mm-hmm. And the way that I have historically dealt with hard things is I just compartmentalize. So I just shoved it down really deep. Mm -hmm. I decided not to deal with it. I went back to work Mm -hmm. within four hours of all of this. And I just went, go, 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 go. Mm -hmm. Um, We eventually lost our son and um, I just continued on in my pregnancy. And to anyone that sort of knew me, they knew what we were going through to an extent, but I outwardly just was acting normal, right? Like no Mm -hmm. one would know Mm -hmm. what I had just gone through. 
because I wasn't really sharing with people and I wasn't really allowing myself to feel my emotions. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to today. Um, I had my second daughter also through IVF, but very soon after I had my, my first. So they're almost to the day, 23 months apart. Mm-hmm. And again, I, you know, when life is going up and down, I tend to just shove things down. Mm-hmm. And so about a year ago, I was brushing my teeth at 6.03 a.m. I'll never forget this. And my husband looks at me and he goes, are you happy? And in that moment, I just answered with the truth, which was no. And that catapulted me into actually getting help, not only from like a therapist, which I'd been seeing when going through infertility, but had stopped, but starting me on this journey of personal development, Mm -hmm. really owning my emotions and my whole, my baseline when I was going, when I first started this journey for myself was, I just want to feel again. Mm -hmm. I want to feel the good, the bad, even the ugly. I wanted to feel instead of just numbing myself to the experiences that I'd had um, over time. Mm-hmm. And so, oh, go ahead. Maybe a question here is, um, so you said that, you know, you shoved all of these negative feelings away. Did you still feel like you experienced the good feelings though? Like when your first uh, daughter was born and then your second daughter was born, like how, How do you look back now at the time with more awareness of maybe with the information that you have today? I I think that in the moments, yes, I I did feel, you know, like my emotions went up and down. It wasn't that I like didn't feel anything, Mm -hmm. but did I feel it to the extent that I probably should have? No. Mm -hmm. And so it would be like, I'd feel this moment of joy. And then my brain would literally say, I can't like, what's the, what's going to happen? Like what's the next, like the shoe that's going to drop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I didn't allow myself to actually sit in any emotion. It mm-hmm. just was anytime I sort of felt something that wasn't sort of even keel mm-hmm. um, or frankly, probably like less than even keel. I probably wasn't even feeling I, my brain automatically would go to sort of fear mm-hmm. and shut that, shut that emotion down. And so over the last year, I've realized that I I needed to grieve not only my son, because I never did, but I also needed to grieve that process that I went through and how I treated my body. Mm -hmm. And I had this aha moment of, you know, we all have hard things. Like Mm -hmm. one of my hard things happened to be my infertility journey. There's other hard things that I've also experienced in my life that I'm not necessarily ready to talk about yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, it was this aha moment of we all have those moments that make us feel isolated. Mm -hmm. What could we, what if we could create spaces for people where they feel safe to share Mm -hmm. and use that? I truly believe storytelling is part of the grieving process. At least it has been for me mm-hmm. and being able to write my story, being able to tell my story has been not only healing, but has allowed other people to, to come to me and say like, I haven't had the exact same experience, but I know what you're going through and thank you because I felt that way too. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And that's the reason why you started your podcast, right? Yes, exactly why. Um, tell us more about um, who you're interviewing on the podcast and what the intent is with the podcast. So the, the intent of the podcast is really a platform where we can have safe conversations about hard things. Mm -hmm. And that could be, you know, for someone, a hard thing might be just they found out they were pregnant and they weren't super excited or they um, had a, a traumatic childhood experience or um, they went through cancer or um, someone who is going to be on the podcast upcom upcoming um, talks about how she's gone alcohol free for the last year, but how she actually hasn't talked about it because she doesn't want that social stigma mm -hmm. around her decision. She doesn't want the judgment around it. And mm -hmm. so the podcast really is a way for us to have conversations around Anything that has made you feel isolated mm -hmm. with the intent of if someone is able to connect with your story, hopefully my, my ultimate goal is that if someone can hear a connection, then maybe that will allow them to feel a little bit more brave and tell someone their story. And then we can create this snowball effect of more vulnerability, more empathy, mm -hmm. um, because ultimately what I realized with my experience is I was a pretty judgmental person. Um, and it feels weird admitting that now, but I was, <laughs> I and totally was too. I think it's great that you admit it. And, um, I haven't, I've never thought about it this way, I think, but I totally was too. Yeah. And I think I, this is terrible to say, but I think I hid it behind this, like, well, I'm from New York and like, that's just mm -hmm. the way New Yorkers are. Mm -hmm. And what my experience of infertility taught me is you literally never know what anyone is going through at any given moment. And so mm -hmm. when someone's short or curt or, you know, reacting to you in a certain way, it's nine times out of 10, not what you are thinking yeah. mm -hmm. the reaction is, right? Like that's your belief of how they're reacting to you. Mm -hmm. And so it taught me to pause um, and really just recognize that they're them in that moment and that's okay. And I don't know what caused their reaction and I'm probably never going to know, but it allows me to react with more empathy than I ever have before in my life. Yeah. Okay. So this is all really exciting and interesting. And I, um, I want to go back a little bit to your story and to that process because the first thing that's striking me is, okay, so you've went through all of this and actually just last year. So when your um, second daughter was one year old, um, had you that realization from this like really simple question that your husband asked you, like what, what happened in that moment? Can you describe that a little bit more of, okay, he asked you if you're happy and then, What happened that all of a sudden everything came up? Yeah. So he asked me if I was happy and I have the toothbrush in my mouth and I'm like, no. And it just caused me to pause. And I think it was the first time in, I don't want to say ever, but in a very long time that I, 
I was honest with him and honest with mm-hmm. myself. And I think that's the most important part. I was honest with myself for the first time mm-hmm. that I actually wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. And it scared me enough to recognize that, that I got help. And so I found, um, a program and it allowed me to connect with other like-minded women. And it allowed me to, um, realize that I was playing victim Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And I was allowing the circumstances of infertility and being a mom of two young kids and just being a mom in general right now in society, there's a lot of things that culture dictates of like, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, how you should be. Mm -hmm. And I'm playing victim to all of that. And I wanted to change that cycle and I couldn't without help. And so it, it took a lot of convincing because like I, I made this decision that I was like, I need help. I found, I found a few different paths that I wanted to go on. And my husband was like, that's a lot of money. Um, and like, <laughs> do you read this? And, um, you know, can't, can't, can't you just like keep going? And I could have, right. Like I could have, I'm, like I said, I, I'm the type of person I'm type a, I'm a recovering perfectionist. Like I could have just kept going and life would have been fine, mm-hmm. but it would have been fine. And now my life is so much better than fine. And mm-hmm. when I say fine, that doesn't mean it's like perfect all the time. My life is far from perfect, but even in those moments when like the wheels are completely off the bus and my two-year-old is having a tantrum for 45 minutes, like I can pause and be okay with what's going on around me. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, two years ago, I would have, I would have been like not even reacting to the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just sort of like saying everything is fine. Everything is fine. Like my life is perfect. Um, and it's, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And the other question that I have that I'm really curious about is, was your husband intentional about asking you if you're happy or was that more like a, are you happy kind of question? And then it just kind of triggered you in a different way than maybe he even expected you to react. That's a really good question. I've actually never asked him if he purposely asked me it or not, but it's funny because we talk about this a lot. So we have very different communication styles. I actually have probably more of a quote unquote male communication style. I'm very direct to the point. I don't, I don't need and or want like the whole context. My husband is very different. Like he would have a quote unquote feminine communication Mm -hmm. style where he needs like the full story when he tells the story is like 15 minutes long. (laughs) which is great, right? We like yeah. we're yin yang that way. Yeah. And so he, I also grew up, my family, I grew up in a very loving family, a very big family. There was no lack of love and support. And, but it was never modeled for me, appropriate communication when it comes to hard things. Mm-hmm. So we didn't, we still don't talk about difficult things in my family. Mm-hmm. And I, truly believe that's one of the reasons why I'm so good at compartmentalizing. I just, I was, it, it was never encouraged. It was never rewarded mm-hmm. and nor was it ever modeled for me. Mm-hmm. And then my 
husband like needs to talk about his feelings all the time. He's an external processor and I'm definitely an internal processor. And so he has this wonderful but annoying tendency to sort of like <laughs> recognize when something's wrong mm-hmm. and put me on it. Mm-hmm. And typically like that's a trigger for me. Mm-hmm. Typically I blow up. And for some reason that morning, it didn't trigger me. It actually triggered me to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why, but I'm so glad that it did yeah. because my life has never been the same. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really beautiful story. And um, I'm going to link your, um, I think you wrote an article on Medium. Um, yeah. And that's what you sent to me when you told me about your podcast. And I read it and I was really, I thought it was really powerful. Um, it was really detailed. And it was just this really like snapshot of like five minutes kind of waiting for the train um, to go on um, to work. And um, how you how you saw the reflection of yourself in, in the window. And yeah, I, I really highly recommend people to read this. I thought it was really beautiful. And um, and I'm really grateful that you're sharing your story because when we then got to connect two weeks ago, I said to you, I'm so happy that you're talking about this so openly because you're not the only person that I have met as a stress management trainer that has t- told me about infertility and um, losing babies and um, and a lot of women and a lot of my clients or also just friends have struggled with these stories and um It, it, there's a lot of stigma around it and there's also a lot of um, loneliness I think around it because um, just to give an example I have a client who um, had a baby as well and then she got pregnant again and she was really excited about it because they were trying and they wanted to have a second baby and I think after eight or nine weeks she lost the baby um, and slash she didn't even lose it right then yet but the, the baby died in her belly and um, she had to make a decision of if she, you know, how she's going to remove it from her body. And she didn't tell me the story until three or four months later after she kind of went through the process. And there was so much guilt um, when I talked to, to her for the first time about, you know, maybe she worked too much or maybe she, um, you know, had a glass of alcohol and that caused it, right? There were like all these big questions um, on her mind of what did I do to cause this? And, um, and yeah, and, you know, I felt really, I felt so sorry. And I told her, hey, you're not the first person you're telling me this. I had another client who had a very similar story, actually. And sometimes it's just the nature of things that, you know, sometimes these things happen. I don't know what I'm actually curious. Maybe that's a good question for you. What are you saying to um, um, people now when, when they come to you and say, you know, I've had an experience like that, like what would you advise them? Um, so first of all, I can't agree with you more that there is, there's inherently a guilt and shame. Again, I can only speak for myself and my own experience, but there is a guilt and a shame when it comes to infertility. And I think that takes a lot of different um, forms. I think that going back to what I said earlier, right? If you, if you believe in this and you believe that women are meant to carry babies mm-hmm. and you're not able to do it, that quote unquote, the the right way no one can see me but i'm doing air quotes um then i think there's this just 
at least for me, there was this shame in the fact that my body wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And the guilt that came around that, the guilt that then came with the decision that my husband and I made with regards to our son and the shame around that um, was just terrible. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think... You know, I, I think for the infertility in particular, but I don't think it's just infertility. I think it's generally hard things. I think there's just several reasons why people don't tell other people. I think a lot has to do with fear of judgment, mm-hmm. fear of how someone's going to react mm-hmm. um, because you know how someone's going to react. And I think there's a lot of that when it comes to infertility in particular. So when people come to me now, I actually try not to say like, I'm so sorry that you've gone through that unless I, th- unless I know them well enough to know that that's the reaction that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. I, I typically just say like, thank you for sharing. That's so hard to do. Mm-hmm. What do you need? Right? Like, do you need an ear? Do you need a shoulder? Do you, do you want to co- to have a conversation? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm handling it the right way mm-hmm. at all, but I think that with infertility in particular, everyone's experience is so uniquely their own that even if I wanted to share my, like someone shares with me and then I'm like, oh, well, let me share mine. Like Mm -hmm. it's not the right moment and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm just grateful that, you know, they felt comfortable enough to share because that's so, so hard to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you said something really interesting that I think plays into that fear of judgment is that, you know, we both just said we were both very judgmental people maybe at some point in our life. And so we are um, naturally thinking that if we are telling a story or if we are sharing something personal, then, then that judgment is coming back to us because we, we are that way, right? And we only know the, the, the way we, how we are thinking. So I think that's something to be very aware of when you're going through personal development and when you are starting to learn more about yourself and about how you think people think, but actually you only think that way because you think that way. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Are you familiar with Katie um, Byron? Yes, I've heard about her. So I'm not... I'm not like solely in her camp and it takes me a very long time to, to get to this, but it had that she has a judge your neighbor worksheet. Um, and she, it's like the three B's your belief, my belief and God universe, however you want to think about that belief. Mm -hmm. Um, and that has really helped me wrap my head around sort of judgment, but a hundred percent, like I have to, even now, especially with my husband, he's my biggest trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, probably like my kids are my second. Um, <laughs> yeah. they, I have to constantly be checking myself to say like, wait, like, am I, is that my reaction? Is that my belief or his belief? Or am I projecting something mm-hmm. onto him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious, and I'm sure the listeners now are curious as well. So you said that you started this process one year ago. You said you really learned a lot about personal development. You didn't just do a therapy. Um, What is maybe one thing? I don't know if you can identify one thing, but maybe there's one thing that 
really helped you shift your mindset around this or really helped you through this time to, to open up? Like what, what is maybe one, one thing that really made a shift for you? I think that the, my biggest shift has been moving from victim to feeling empowered about my life. So thinking about like things are not just happening to me. Mm-hmm. I have a say in how I'm going to be reacting to things. Mm-hmm. And that's not always easy to do in the moment. Like I, I mm-hmm. can't sit here and say I'm perfect at that by any means. But I think the biggest shift for me has been you know, society tell us, or I believe society tells us that moms should sacrifice everything for their children. Wives should sacrifice everything for their husbands. And my biggest shift, and I I grew up in actually a very strong female household. My mom, you know, got her master's degree, paid for it all by herself. My grandfather didn't believe that women should go to college. Um, and or actually like go to school at all, which is a whole nother can of worms. And so I, I grew up with like a very feminist mom, but even because of all that, I still, I still sort of allowed society to tell me that like I needed to give everything for my family. And I think infertility exasperated that. And so my biggest shift has been to recognize that in order to be the best mom, to be the best partner, to be the best employee, to be the best entrepreneur, I need to fill my own cup first. Mm-hmm. And I used to hate that term. Like I was like, what are, what are people talking about? Like <laughs> cups, like, come on. Um, but it's so true that if I'm not taking even five minutes to stretch or to move my body or to use my brain in a way that is good for me, then, then I'm useless to anybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a p- very powerful stress management tool, right? That I, that I'm talking about a lot with like self-care and that we need to take care of ourselves. And the, I think you mentioned it as well two weeks ago that we have to put on our oxygen mask first before we're putting it onto others. Um, I'm really curious as well. And I'm glad that I checked the questions that I prepared for today, because it's a question that I'm really curious to hear from you. Um, what advice would you give yourself if you'd be 30 again, or if you'd be whatever age you were when, when all of these things started to happen? I think I would give myself the advice of pausing mm-hmm. and recognizing that I was someone who was always go, go, go. We, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think it's funny actually in this crisis, the, the coronavirus crisis that like we all have to pause. I think that as a culture, mm-hmm. at least here, United States, like this overscheduled, busy for the sake of busy. Mm-hmm. I totally lived my life that way. And this was even pre-kids. Like Greg would always laugh at me and be like, what are, what's on the agenda for this Saturday? And I'd have like a list. Mm-hmm. And, and so my advice that I'd give myself is to pause mm-hmm. and enjoy the small moments because life will always be there. You, you will be able to still be ambitious. You will still be able to, to follow your dreams, Mm -hmm. but if you're not in the moment appreciating it, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a really good advice. And um, there are one or two thoughts that I actually have um, that came out of your, your response. Um, I feel like, you know, when we are, I, I identify a lot with who you are, you know, as, as a person. And um, I think a lot of people do, you know, in that corporate context or the tech world, maybe um, there are these like profiles that I like to call high achievers or peak performers, right? And we love to take control over everything. And we almost get um, crazy is not the right word, but it kind of explains it. But we, we get so um, rigid about that we want this thing, right? Like we want to control the situation, no matter if it is the next promotion or having a baby and getting pregnant or, um, you know, finding the right partner. I don't know what, whatever it is. Um, I feel like we, we as like high achievers, we have that tendency to, uh, to feel safe in that control state and just applying that to all levels in our lives. And I'm, I'm almost thinking and wondering that, you know, if somebody finds themselves in the situation of not being able to get pregnant, I don't know, I, you tell me if this is a good advice or if I'm kind of going wrong because I have fortunately not had that experience before. But I'm almost thinking, you know, we are we're getting so rigid and so control freaky about that one thing that we want so badly that we're putting so much pressure and stress on ourselves that it's making doing the exact opposite sometimes. So especially when we're trying to conceive and we're trying to have a baby, um, those that pressure and those negative feelings are probably not really healthy in the process of anything of anything no matter if you want to have a baby or you want to have the next promotion because i feel like when we are starting to be in this like control state then we oversee the little things that are really important to um, to enjoy life but also to actually bring us forward a hundred percent a hundred percent and i i remember even having conversations with my therapist as i was going through infertility right and i'm a hundred percent and I'm working on this, but I'm a hundred percent that person. I think about the, the, the finish line and it's like, how quickly can I get there? And in what, what is the most efficient way? And that's how I viewed everything in life work. And, um, I, I viewed like having a family in this manner and the reality is, is like, it's so out of your control. And, it was actually the first time that I actually went through a lesson of like realizing that you can't be in control of everything, which I actually think helped me then when I became a parent. Yeah. Um, because that is like a, tr you know, most people say becoming a parent is like a true lesson in like realizing you have no control. Well, my first lesson in that was infertility. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, I'm sure there are studies about this and I'm sure that there's a ton of research behind it. I would definitely say there's a connection between mm -hmm. like stress and stress management and control mm -hmm. and, and allowing, you know, you hear stories all the time. People are, um, going through years of, of fertility and then, um, you just stop, pause and, and all of a sudden they're getting pregnant, right? right? Yeah. Um, that wasn't my experience, but I know plenty of people that, that have yeah. that. Yeah, my, my dad's wife um, had the same experience too. I think she tried to get pregnant for three or four years. And you know, that was back in the, in the 80s, 90s. 
80s, early 90s. And, um, and yeah, and then she, you know, she kind of lost hope and then she got pregnant. And actually, my grandma had the same story too. My grandma was 29, which, you know, back in the, the 40s and 50s, that was really old to, uh, to yeah. be pregnant and have children. <clears throat> so she um, met my grandpa and they, um, they actually adopted a child because they tried to get pregnant and they couldn't get pregnant. So they adopted the child. And then after that, my, my grandma had my dad, my uncle, <laughs> and then she got pregnant again. And, you know, they, they decided to not have any more babies, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's funny. And they, and they said, like the doctor said to my grandma and grandpa that they can't have children. And so you sometimes, you know, it's, um, it's very interesting that way. So yeah, I'm really appreciative that you shared your story with us today. So thank you so, so much. Um, let's jump into the last few questions that I have, um, because I know that you have a meeting after this. Um, so the first question I always have is what are you most grateful for? Right now in this moment, I'm grateful for my health, which mm -hmm. I know like a throwaway question, but I think about everything that's going on with the coronavirus right now. And I am just so grateful that I have the flexibility to allow myself and my family the safety to be healthy. And I recognize that that is not true for millions of people around the globe. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. It's something I'm doing a gratitude journal every morning and I've written way more often down than I usually do because I'm like, my whole family is healthy and I'm so grateful for this because it's not a given at the moment and we should celebrate it every day that we can. So yeah, I totally 100% agree. Um, do you have now that you are in personal development and you've been really growing and thriving over the last year within it, um, do you have three wisdoms or three like, um, like phrases maybe that you live by? So I am slightly obsessed with Brene Brown. Okay. And, <laughs> um, so, you know, part of, part of this journey for myself was a quote from her that I, so was, I've actually reread for the third time, the gifts of imperfection, um, daring greatly and rising strong. And there's a quote in daring greatly that I've written down no less than three times. Um, because it just really has struck with me, which is, um, there, the, most vulnerable thing you can do is to own your own story. It's also the messiest thing you can do, but mm -hmm. there's beauty in that and own mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really beautiful. I love, I, I actually read Daring Greatly too. And I really love that. Um, any other books or other, would you say those are like your three books that maybe have changed your life or that have kind of really accompanied you through this process as well? It's funny. Cause I, I, first read the books actually when I was going through my infertility journey mm -hmm. and I was like, Oh, this is really interesting, but I like did nothing with it. Mm -hmm. And then I probably reread them. I don't know, maybe three years ago. And again, like it was like, Oh, this is really interesting. And then over the holidays, I decided to reread them all. And it like, there are times a charm. And um, it really, it really struck with me. Mm -hmm. Um, the other book that I am in the middle of is Sarah North's, um, I hope I got her last name right, but the um, 
don't give an F. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I'm really, what I'm drawn to right now are lots of messages around owning your truth and standing up for what you believe in and not letting others and their judgments get in your way. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Cool. I'll put that in the show notes as well. And so if people are interested to get in touch with you, how would be the best way to do that? Well, thank you for asking. Um, so I just launched my podcast yesterday, which was my daughter's. Congratulations. That's exciting. Um, so you can find it on all available podcast platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, it is called, this is my truth. Um, by Jesse Sherloff, and that's J-E-S-S-I-S-H-U-R-A-E-S-H-U-R-A-L-E-F-F. Should have stuck with my maiden name. (laughs) (laughs) um, My website is myname.com. So again, that's J-E-S-S-I-S-H-U-R-A-L-E-F as in Frank, F as in Frank.com. Cool. Great. Well, um, I'd say the last thing that we have to, uh, on, to do that's on our agenda is that I'm going to bring the puppy because yes. I just saw your dog in the background and it's a very yeah. similar one. <laughs> so oh let me get it. Yes. So this is Kobe. <laughs> oh, my Kobe. oh my goodness. And he's, he's so sweet. He's nine and a half weeks old and he's a, a border collie sh- Australian Shepherd and Blue Healer mix. Oh my gosh. Well, mine, who you saw in the background, uh, of course, is an Australian Shepherd. Yeah, I thought so. I saw her or his uh, long hair. Yeah. 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 So he just, uh, he, I just caught him chewing one of my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> when I got outside, I've been trying to put them all um, on top, but um, of like our stairs, and it's like literally I put one up, and he just goes down to the shoe rack and like grabs the next one. <laughs> You're very smart. I didn't know that about the those breeds, um, and thankfully we never had a shoe problem. But it probably took us a good three and a half months to house train him, mm-hmm. and it was driving me bonkers. So mm-hmm. if yeah. it's not one mother it's my it's my first experience having a baby (laughs) Um, and you know how they say that it prepares you a little bit better for motherhood so I'm trying to be a patient um, but sometimes (laughs) they're like the sweetest and then they're like the the ones that you uh, yeah that you would like to put in a corner and uh, never see again (laughs) Um, Tucker's um, he actually just, what month are we in? He'll turn um, eight, actually, at the end of this month. <clears throat> nice. Yeah. Very nice. All right, Jesse. So thank you so, so much um, for your time and for sharing your story. It's really powerful. And like I said, I've had goosebumps multiple times um, during today's podcast episode. And I hope that it's helpful for others to listen to this and they gain some strength out of this as well. Well, thank you so much for affording me the opportunity, Julia. I have loved our conversation and I'm so glad that we were able to connect. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon, Jesse. Bye. Bye.